0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the SPN. I'm your host, Shane Paul Neal. I'm joined today by Aaliyah S. King. Hi. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know Aaliyah, she is an author, a journalist, and a writing coach, um, a New York Times bestselling author, I may add. Yes, I am. I know how much you love people I, saying that out loud. I don't like that. Uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from, what you do.
1: Okay. Um, I'm a writer. And I'm from East Orange, New Jersey, born and raised. I've been writing. This is my 21st year as a writer. I've written five books, working on book six. Um, More than writing this year, I've done a lot of coaching. I've helped a lot of people establish writing practices, which is really important if you want to finish a book. Um, Let's see. What else? I'm a journalist. I'm an author. I'm a novelist. I'm all the things. I love to write all the things. So that's me.
0: Aaliyah and I have, as of recent, been working on a lot of different things together. This podcast, obviously. You're live on Facebook, which will become a YouTube channel and a podcast. Correct. Um, swing the live a little bit for everybody.
1: Okay. It started off with me not really knowing what to do on social media. Social media makes me really anxious and not knowing how to use all the awesome things that are available to you. So one day I went on live on Facebook. And I really had a great time. So I decided at the very least, if I'm not going to do all the things with social media, once a week, I will get on Facebook and Instagram at the same time, spend an hour, answer all the questions. And it's become really helpful for me and hopefully seems to be for other writers. So when you and I, Shane, started to work together and you said, you know, you have all of this content that you just leave up on your page every week, we can take the audio and make it a podcast. So that's what's going to happen. I'm really excited about it.
0: So along with that, we have another super secret project that we're working on There's a podcast as well. Correct. We have... What else do we have? There's the, So we have three podcasts going currently. Mm-hmm. Uh We're gearing up for your next round of writing classes. Mm-hmm. Uh You're writing all the things for all the people. All the, the things for all the people. And just a lot of stuff. You're also my writing coach at this point. I am. I'm your business manager. Correct. Which means you spend... An unusual amount of time together. Correct. It's a little more than necessary, some might say.
1: No, I think it's absolutely necessary for the things that we have to do, but a little more than manageable, some yeah. might
0: say. Well, uh, inside baseball, we were just talking about how annoying we can be at this point for one another in different aspects, uh, but still. Actually, we were talking about
1: so. sh- we were actually talking about how annoying you are. We hadn't yet gotten to um, the things that I do to be annoying. Which I'm sure are there, but we just to clarify, we hadn't quite gotten there yet.
0: We'll save an episode for you to tell the world all the ways that I'm annoying. I will definitely do fabulous. that. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of what we're, what the show is going to be, or what I want it to be. I've been fortunate through the last several years to make a lot of interesting contacts and interesting friends, and from those have come a lot of interesting, interesting conversations. So the long and short of what I want this show to be is just a way to capture those conversations. For example, tonight we're going to be talking about cancel culture, and as well as what it means to be a person of note, uh, a phrase that we keep going back and forth on. I started with <laughs> public figure, I was downgraded to person of note, and I had to bring you up from private citizen, basically? The illusion that you were a private citizen?
1: I have had that illusion. I still do have that illusion sometimes.
0: Yeah, which... And
1: that's not a thing. I am not a private citizen.
0: No. Um, so the flip side of the cancel culture piece is going to be what exactly means to handle being a person of note in 2019 between social media and the expectations and all the things that go along with that. Oh, before I get to that, we are recording from...
1: We are recording from Third Space Work 142 Lafayette Street, Newark, New Jersey. Um, back in July, I became the writer in residence here at Third Space Cowork. And I've been here for a couple months and it's been really an exceptional experience podcast uh, Studio event space private offices all that good stuff Kenny run my cash I just gave you a free commercial on the SPN
0: so mm-hmm. technically that would be my cash but we'll discuss that later True. <laughs> but yeah we're recording live from Third Space we love to shout them out uh, it's a really beautiful space if you are in the area absolutely come through um, it's worth a look, especially if you're looking for spaces or to record or to do all the things. So the reason I wanted to talk about cancel culture and as well as the idea of, you know, what it means to be a person of note is two interactions I had on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago. One, the first one I had put out a tweet and it was sort of a hot take, I guess. And I won't get into the specifics of the tweet because that's sort of an aside. And I had, a an acquaintance of mine uh DM'd me and she is very well known. Um she's bouncing all the place between Hollywood and New York and doing all the things entertainment wise and uh in terms of journalism and a lot of different other activities. She DM'd me and was essentially asked me, Are you sure you want to do this? And the first question I asked was, Was my tweet incorrect or inappropriate? And her response was, no, to that extent, it's fine. Uh, she asked me specifically, do I want the smoke, essentially? Is it gonna be worth having to go through the mentions and potentially getting dragged and all the other things? And in the moment, I my position was essentially, if I believe in what I'm saying, um, I'm fine with whatever may come after.
1: I think though, I do wanna say just really briefly that I do know the tweet mm-hmm. re- you're referencing. Mm-hmm. And it was more than just a hot take. To me, it read like,
0: I want the smoke.
1: There's a hot take, Mm -hmm. and then there's a I want the smoke. And that tweet definitely read like, I want the smoke.
0: Uh, I might have been in the mood, I don't know. Um, It wouldn't be the first time I threw something out into the Twitterverse. But long story short, we chatted for a minute, and I realized part of what was happening was she was viewing my tweet from a very different platform. Her platform is much larger than mine. Um, and it's one that if she had tweeted what I tweeted, it would immediately be picked up by national publications and all these mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. And the ramifications for her would be very different for me. Um, to that end, nothing came from my tweet. There was I don't think there was a retweet or comment or anything. It just kind of went off into the ether. Second conversation I had was also again on Twitter, uh, and it's actually a mutual friend of ours who I again won't name just for the sake of keeping folks' business for themselves. Um, she, I don't know what was going on in Twitter that day, but it was one of those uh, black Twitter trending, you know, hot takey this is annoying, what's going on kind of days and to paraphrase she essentially said I want to say things about this but I don't want to get cancelled or dragged um, and especially in the moment that she's in right now she's in peak visibility great success as a, over the last couple of months and her whole thing was I want to say the things but i can't because of my platform now and and looking at those two interactions and looking at my platform which is considerably smaller than theirs um, it occurred to me that part of what happens is people you build a platform because people want to hear what you're saying but the larger that platform gets the harder it becomes for you to say the things that you want to say of course. and it's kind of a weird inverse effect to me and so what
1: we're all trying to do is get to a place where we can get canceled because you start off if you don't have a platform you can say whatever you want and mm-hmm. no one cares mm-hmm. because you can't get canceled if you don't have a group of people who cancel you right so you try to get there and then when you get to that place you try to make sure you don't get canceled
0: right and I used to joke that I'll know I've made it when I get canceled. And- You
1: don't agree with that statement anymore?
0: I don't think I do. Um, a, I've, I've come to a place where I don't know that the societal cancel actually exists uh, in real life. We all have our personal cancellations. Um, uh, we were talking about, you know, I'm not a big Chris Brown guy. Right. Um, and just reflectively, he comes on, I hit skip, I think. Most of us are that way with R. Kelly to a large degree, or at least we say so publicly. What happens behind closed doors, you never know. Which is the other part of cancel—like there's a the faux and the, and all those other things as well, to where people will say that they're boycotting or canceling somebody because it looks good in public, but then what happens behind doors is a different story. Um, but that's a whole other. Uh, well, it is because
1: point. you know we had Damon here uh, on Monday. Damon Young. Damon Young and his book, "What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker." Um, In it, he talks about cancel culture and he said that while he was here in town, he was going to do some stuff on cancel culture. And when we talked about particularly Chris Brown and R. Kelly, he believes that if they have committed a crime, Chris Brown, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, that's a separate thing. Mm -hmm. He's interested in who stays canceled that has not committed a crime and actually remains because, of course, you can commit a crime and get canceled. Even then, Chris Brown has returned and mm-hmm. R. Kelly hasn't really truly gone anywhere. Bill Cosby's in jail. So I do think we should make that differentiation between people who commit crimes and people who just do stuff that people don't
0: like. Right. And to that end, when we were having a conversation, I was trying to remember remember somebody who just— for the culture got canceled and stayed canceled. And the only one I could come up with really was Chrisette Michelle.
1: Which is the only one that Damon could come up with. So there must be something there.
0: Right. My initial thought on that was, well, it's interesting that the one person I can think of happens to be a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought more about who her core audience is and it's other black women. Right. And she essentially got canceled for uh, being at Trump's inauguration. Right. And we know... Black women came out and voted in the 90 percentile, and voted against Trump. Right. So you're now essentially working the polar opposite of your fan base and your constituency, who are actively telling you, "Don't do this thing."
1: Also, I think Chrisette's uh, cancellation, and I should say with full disclosure that I did write about very strongly, wrote a piece about Chrisette for BT at the time, and she doubled down when folks mm-hmm. were she had a lot of time to not. Right. do this it's not like she got the the call the day before and just kind of showed up um and she was writing about it and she was talking about it and she was defending herself and folks were like okay go ahead so she really kind of cakewalked herself into that one
0: right. um actually no there might be and it's too soon to say but i think the only other one i can think of right now is daniel caesar
1: yeah daniel but, caesar uh but it's
0: too soon to say whether or not it's stuck i think Well, Daniel
1: Caesar is a little bit different because his target, his base. With Daniel Caesar, when he made the remarks that he made.
0: uh, About, what was it, Yes Jules? He was basically defending Yes Jules on Instagram. Yes.
1: And with him, there were people who discovered him via, why are we canceling this person? Mm. Uh, His base audience is not necessarily. Is that
0: base black women also?
1: What, is this base black women? Yeah. No.
0: Who is his... Buddy? He's
1: a very, like, alternative sort of... Mm-hmm. I would say millennials first and foremost. Right. Um, And white folks as much as black folks. I don't think mm-hmm. that he's... A, um, Yeah, he's definitely not a Chrisette Michelle. Right. So a lot of people were kind of, like, shrugging and kind of canceling because he did say the wrong thing or whatever, but not as invested in him as a cancel would nearly... Would need to be. You're, you have... Cancels have to come from an
0: audience that doesn't just know you, but they're invested in you. So this almost could have been in the lines of almost like the hot kind of a situation where... Correct,
1: where you have to say, oh, he's canceled. But you didn't you but didn't really, really know anything place. about him in the first place. Right. I'm not buying H&M anymore, but you never
0: buy H&M. Right. So,
1: for the record, everything I'm wearing is. Yeah. I never participated in the H&M cancellation.
0: That was a murky one for me.
1: It wasn't murky for me. It was completely unnecessary and completely um, misguided,
0: period. So one of the things I've noticed with, especially with these print ads and the, and especially with the t-shirts and everything else, they'll hire a model with a blank shirt. Yes. And then just throw random stuff this on This was it. not that. I've seen so many ads on like Target and other t-shirt spaces where it's a white person wearing a Melanin is popping t-shirt. Right. Just because I, I don't this care. This was not that. Right. H&M really
1: did put a young black kid in a shirt that said coolest monkey in the jungle. It was an actual shirt. Um, His mother was there. She did not see anything wrong with it. It was a European only ad. It didn't run in the States and never would get past marketing in the States. Very unfortunate, but not cancellation worthy. Definitely not. Let's go into H and M and fuck shit up, which also was happening. I was just absolutely like
0: completely confused. Well, the other question with that is how many folks went to fuck shit up for the sake of fucking shit up? Right. How many folks fuck shit up for the sake of getting a of course H and M t shirt?
1: Of course. It reminded me of when I was in high school and there was a what were we protesting? Apartheid in South Africa. And the word had started to spread through lots of schools about what was happening. We had this big uh, poster of all the things to tell your parents to you know, boycott, and Pepsi, and Kellogg's, and all the things, um, we didn't really care. We cared, because it was fun and cool, but when we all walked out of school to march to City Hall, I promise you, it was more the fun of walking out of school than it was apartheid, which we knew not how to spell or explain. So, um, it is what it is. Sometimes it's just fun to be a part of it. And if good things come out of it, my parents listen to me. They boycotted the things I told them to boycott it helped um it's widely believed that high school students and young college students put together enough of a cancel culture in 1989 for apartheid to get the attention it got it did not come from the top down did mm-hmm. not come from government down right. the swell of protest came from young people up and i think it was probably one of the first times um in modern you know not counting like in the 60s where that happened and we didn't have any adult guidance we weren't getting this from grown up mm-hmm. saying this is what you should do we were telling them this is what you need
0: to do well that's so, very similar to the climate change protests of course, that just happened of
1: course um yeah my daughter my 12 year old um her school put together a not a walkout but a walk school doesn't do walkouts and um i'm i was just kind of wondering how to explain all the disposable plastic crap she wanted me to buy in order to make her sign, but I didn't say that. She's 12, we're gonna do our best. It is what it is. So particularly for you know, H&M, I thought it was misguided. A lot of the corporate stuff, to me, um, seems to be a bit misguided. Um, so I never, I'm not, I have I have no problem canceling things, but H&M is my favorite store and that just wasn't gonna happen.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the NFL at this point. The you watch the NFL, I watch the NFL. You don't I am, have a problem with it, you don't, don't feel guilty.
1: <laughs> Guilt is do you do you watch it on bended knee?
0: Um, no, I do not, but I'm also not the person that watches nine hours of football every Sunday plus that the Thursday. Doesn't day, matter, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, part of it is because the product itself is not as good as it used to be. Um, but there's also not the veil that comes down, I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. I'm not as big of of a fan as I once was for a lot of the political reasons. Um, But you still watch it. But I still watch it. And so there's part of it. The part of it also is it goes to the Foucault thing. What is the, it goes back to what does he ask? Because when all this started uh, with Colin Kaepernick, he was addressing police brutality. Correct. It got spun off into him disrespecting the military and disrespecting the country and all the different things. He gets blackballed out the league the league does their Fornio baloney. The entire league is going to kneel to show unity, quote unquote. And at that point, that was only because Donald Trump said something about the league. And that was basically a middle finger to Donald Trump. It had nothing to do with what uh, Kaepernick was talking about. Kaepernick, at this point, is fighting for his job. His, his social and entrepreneurial efforts are so, so remain and still are what they are. But his fight with the league is, I want a job. He wasn't necessarily, he was never looking to the league to cure societal ills. Um,
1: It sounds like a lot of something to try to justify watching the NFL when there are a lot of people who have stopped and don't watch football anymore because they cannot bear to support what they see as a very racist organization.
0: There are those who don't watch for that reason. Um... But also for me, the whole, for me, the whole thing was murky from the get-go. What was the ask of the NFL? What did you want from the NFL to change in order to make them So powerful? are you
1: saying that if there were a clear ask and, that they, and you agreed with that ask and they didn't do it, is there a space or a way that a boycott of the NFL would have been in order for you where you would have said, eh, I can't watch the
0: NFL anymore? The um, way you don't listen to Chris Brown anymore? If the ask was, we want the league to take a harder stance on domestic violence because they're- But not on police violence. The NFL has no control over police violence. Yeah. They They can't change that. Yeah. They can't change racism in America. They can change it within the NFL. But Colin's whole thing was addressing America more than the NFL. The NFL can do plenty to address domestic violence within their league. Which they're not doing. If that, but not makes, to
1: the extent where you feel like you need to boycott.
0: They're really not doing much of anything. But I hear what you're saying. But my question then becomes, what? Does, and I'm going. There's a personal boycott, which I understand. Um, if you're not about the the sport or the artist anymore, which we've all kind of made our lines and said in different ways, um, it's that part I understand. The structure. I'm speaking more to the structured idea of a boycott of the NFL. And to that end, I don't know that there was ever a clear ask. I don't know that what we're talking about is even something that's really the NFL as opposed to the country at all. Outside of getting Colin a job, if you're protesting, saying, "Hey, I want," I'm not gonna watch until Colin is back in the league.
1: Did that ever? Did you ever think about that, about doing that?
0: No, because that was never the ask. That was never. There was no. There was, and even and even to the extent of this, how murky the whole thing was for me. There are many white conservatives boycotting the NFL for being too liberal, as there are liberals and black folks boycotting because they're too conservative. Really? Yes. There are a lot. If you look online, there are a lot of folks who complain about how they handled the kneeling. The, oh the no, you're right. Yeah, there was a lot of that, and they were. They said we're not dealing with the NFL either. So at that point, you have two sides saying we're not dealing with the NFL. <laughs> who who is affecting change at that point? Who is the NFL listening to? Who is the NFL directing towards?
1: But none of those things have anything to do with your personal dis- decision on whether or not to support the NFL.
0: That's correct yeah I've, i'm
1: it's it seems to me that you watch football, you like it i do and that's really pretty much it right like it's not about well this is not happening and there was no ask and there's a separation and there's these things and these things all those things are facts but really you just i like football. football
0: i do like football um but at the same time if there i will say if there was a Structured boycott for something that the NFL can take action on. You'd I would, be a part of it. I'd be a part of it.
1: So in my um, situation, it's not the same at all, but I do um, pretty much get all my clothes from H&M. So this was very problematic for me when this whole thing started because I was like, "I what am I supposed to do? I mean, obviously, you don't not wear the clothes you own, but you know, I also wasn't not buying stuff. So in the heat of the boycotting, I wore a dress to an event and the person posted it on Instagram and they hashtagged it, H&M, spring dresses, you know, a whole bunch of hashtags. Um, Someone from H&M contacted me and said, we want to make you our H&M person of the day and break down your outfit. We see you have on all H&M heads to toe. This will be great for you. It's You'll a get a lot of idea. whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. I am not going to front. I know this particularly. I don't follow H&M, but it sometimes gets whatever. I've seen this feature and I was very excited. I was like, wow, I cannot believe it that they noticed me and they noticed my outfit because I was looking very cute. So um, I looked at their page and I saw that every person who had been that Average like maybe, I'm going to say 75 to 100,000 likes, comments. Cute, not cute, didn't matter. And then, of course, because I'm a journalist, I'm cross-referencing all these people and seeing how their profiles increased a lot between the day before when you weren't an H&M model of the day person and the day after. So, of course, now I'm thinking this will be good for me. I'll have, you know, more followers. I need that. Social media, it's a thing. And I'm sure, and of course there's pride there too. So, or ego, I should say, not pride. So the question became, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be featured on H&M's homepage in the middle of all this conversation about being the cutest monkey in the jungle? So obviously I said, no, thank you. And moved on with my life. But uh, I had dinner with some friends that same night and I told them all the story. And several of them were like, that wasn't smart. What do you care? If you're doing it because you agree that what they did was wrong, that makes sense. Mm. But if you don't agree, then why would you not do it?
0: Fear. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the one. It, and again, because you are journalist, author, Aaliyah S. King, you're not the plumber who happened to have on all H&M on a particular day who's going from 200 followers to a thousand followers because you wore this outfit. Correct. This is this is you. Excuse <clears> me. <throat> this is you having the having set yourself up for a potential dragon because now you are in the midst of all this. You're the one who's going to do this. Like you're, you're. It becomes its own problem. Right. Um. But between the NFL and H H&M, and think there's a direct correlation that I've heard other people say, and but I also feel like it's something that's overlooked by most folks. Is Your line in the sand, the thing that you'll cancel or will not cancel, has a direct correlation to how much you like that thing and who you like. There are a lot of folks who love R. Kelly, but won't watch the NFL and vice versa. Of course. There are folks who will never wear H&M again, but are wearing Yeezys. Yep. So it's all relative to what you like.
1: Of course. And it depends on how visceral your feeling is towards the thing. Right. Good or bad. Mm -hmm. I am very attached to H&M, so I'm going to wear it. not so attached to Gucci, which I don't own any of and I wouldn't buy. Um, But like you said something, what did you just say about, um, oh, so NFL, H&M, the things that you feel visceral about, you feel that way about Chris Brown, you'll always skip it, Mm -hmm. but maybe not other problematic people. Um, For me, it's Al Green. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't even come across his music very often, but I absolutely can't stomach it at all. Um, I wrote a story about him. I think that, He did some things he should not have. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, I can't hear his music. You know, I interviewed relatives of a woman who was killed in his home. And I interviewed her children and her husband and her sisters. And after that, that was 10 years ago, I still cannot hear some of his music, any of his music, without skipping immediately. I don't even feel like I'm boycotting him. I just think I don't like him. Right. Boycotting is a little bit more active. Boycotting, you want other people to join in. I right. don't care if people listen to Al Green or not.
0: Right. Um, and I that, can't. And and that goes back to my thing with the NFL. There's, it's not a boycott. It's a lot of people making personal decisions. And those personal decisions are fine. But it's not a boycott. Uh and to even to that end, since you told me the Al Green story, I've had trouble listening to Al Green. And it's not that you said don't listen to him, whatever else. It was mm-hmm. I have a hard time listening to him for this reason, and now that story resonates with me as well. Um, and even, I mean, we can talk for ages about soul singers of the sixties and seventies and Marvin Gaye, Marvin, and oh, poor Tammy. Poor.
1: poor Tammy, he didn't do anything to Tammy.
0: No, that Tammy. Um, he didn't do anything to Tammy. No, Tammy someone was, else. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. From the Temptations. I'm, I'm getting all my.
1: Yeah, he protected her, but no, he uh had his own mm-hmm. issues with women.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, entertainers in general you're gonna but I want to go back to what you were saying earlier about how we want to get to a place where we can get canceled but then we don't want to get canceled
0: right Um, and I think the Instagram piece is actually a good segue into that
1: yes it is even though it's not my it's not connected to my career mm-hmm. I don't want to get to a place in my career so that H&M will feature me on their page Right. Obviously, but you know, if I was into fashion or I wrote about fashion, mm-hmm. if I was, if I was a fashion journalist and I wrote about fashion, I might have done it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I might not have been able to turn that down. Regardless, I would have just taken my chances on the cancel culture part.
0: So, in, in that in that scenario, is the negative feedback still good for the brand? Quote no, unquote?
1: no, no, no. Not for me. Mm-hmm. Negative feedback is never good for me. Negative feedback has brought me more attention, but. You know, no, I do not want any negative feedback on
0: anything. And to that end, can we talk about Morehouse?
1: Sure. Yeah. That was probably the worst of negative feedback. I, um, briefly, I wrote a story 10 years ago about gender-bending kids at Morehouse. So these are young black men who are wearing dresses and skirts and Fendi bags and weaves. And it's a very small group of kids. And the head of school or the dean of school Sent out a notice saying that students were no longer allowed to wear. He prefaced it with Timberlands, through rags, baggy jeans. Um, and then it slipped into dresses, skirts, heels, bags. So when I read it online, I thought, who is wearing dresses and skirts and heels? At Morehouse. And it took me about a year. I found all of them. They call themselves the Mean Girls. After the movie The Mean Girls. And um, the story was called The Mean Girls of Morehouse. I went to Atlanta and spent some time down there, and it didn't turn out well for me. story was good. Got a good feedback on the story itself, but there were a lot of people in the HBCU community who wanted me dead. Um, HBCUs are Christian. Is that literal or figured? That's out. literal. Mm. They are, I, for the first and thankfully so far the last time, I had to go to the police for actual death threats that I received for tarnishing the name of Morehouse, for bringing bringing dishonor to the school. It's strange to me because 10 years later that would never happen. This year, they just passed a new rule that they're accepting transgender men into the class of 2020, which is amazing. But 10 years ago, they wouldn't even um, accept boys wearing skirts so uh it was pretty bad so i was trending not i the story was trending um on twitter which was a huge deal in 10 years ago and uh i started getting these really weird dms throughout the day and they were first they were like you're no, were ugly you, no
0: i'm sorry were you on twitter at the time or i was on twitter okay.
1: yeah um at first it was just like you're so ugly and i'm like okay i can handle that and then it was like don't come to atlanta and i was like mm, that's not so great And then it was like, you're going to see what it feels like to be disrespected and violated. And I was like, well, and it just got considerably worse um, from there until I had to uh, make some calls and make sure that I was protected. Um, I was asked to come to Morehouse to kind of simmer down because the kids were going nuts on campus and they were making all these weird YouTube videos about how they're going to beat me up. It was just
0: really ugly Um, So real quick question. Yes. The Mean Girls, how are they being received as all this is happening? Were they in trouble or were they in danger at all?
1: That's a good question. Uh, Only two of them were on social media. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they were not, I mean, in a really small bit, maybe. Mm -hmm. But from what I can remember, two of the people in the story were on Twitter trying to defend me. Mm -hmm. But it's really strange to me even now that they we're going after me and not just the story. Right. You know, I had already been a journalist for 10 years and no one ever paid attention to who wrote the story, mm-hmm. unless it was a rapper being mad about how many mics they got. Um, other than that, it was just always like, oh God, did you see this story? Even now in 2019, I'm not so sure if a story like that, even if it was explosive, how much, no, the writer's getting dragged, the writer's mm-hmm. getting dragged. But I was pretty surprised. It was my first time ever being dragged for anything Um, and it was so public and I felt so vulnerable. Um, I think the scariest part, which was also the most humorous was that this guy tweeted out, let's find out her, who her kids are. Cause I saw something somewhere and it says she has two kids. We're going to find out who her kids are so we can post photos of them. And I was like, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand what my kids have to do with it. I had a two year old baby and a 12 year old at the time. So he didn't find photos, but he did find the name of my youngest daughter. And my youngest daughter's name is a boy's name, so like William. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I found him. Her son's name is William Johnson. I'm going to make a note of that, and I'm going to tell the school that, and we'll make sure that her son never gets into Morehouse. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, I can do that. That's the worst thing that happens here. <laughs> so the administration asked me to come down. They were going to fly me down to Atlanta to do a panel, um, so that like things could settle down. Mm-hmm. Everybody was really upset and really angry. And then you know the LGBT community in Atlanta was starting to be like, well, I don't understand what the big deal is. It was getting really tense. So um, I thought about it. The editor at Vibe said, I approve. You can go if you want. And I thought about it. And then one of the people organizing the panel said, well, what's the problem? Why, why are you even hesitating? You can come out tomorrow. And I'm like, I just really want to think this out. And he said, it's okay. We're going to have armed security pick you up from the airport and you'll be with them all the way to the panel.
0: Well, if, if that's required, then I was this question like, to be And asked. I
1: was like, did you say armed security right. from the airport to the panel and back? And he doesn't even know that that was the end of that. So right. I was like, I'm actually not coming down there because if you feel like I need that, then I don't even want to know what's happening. So that was my first introduction to Cancel culture, I guess. Mm. I don't know that I was actually canceled because what are you going to do? I was dragged. dragged. I was not canceled right.
0: because Well, clearly because you've had you ten year, you've had 10 years with the career since But that. even
1: then they didn't have any power to cancel me. What are you going to do? Right. Tell my editor don't give her any stories. They mm-hmm. were I the story crashed vibe servers. They were They were thrilled. thrilled. Right. Um it was one of the last print issues to actually sell off stands. Like mm. that the whole idea of flying off a newsstand doesn't happen anymore and it did with that issue. So I wasn't going to get canceled. And that's an important part of cancel culture. Some people are just not going to get canceled because how are you doing that? Right. Maybe if I had a book coming out, people wouldn't support it. Mm -hmm. But if I had a book coming out about Morehouse, I bet people would support it, actually. Um,
0: So I don't know. Well, the other thing that's, I think, come from the whole concept of a cancel culture is... Celebrities falling into niches where they become cancel proof. Um, Isn't it
1: niche, niche, niches?
0: That sounds racist. What? Where are my niches? um It's not niches. No, I, I know. It's I was making. But you said niches. I said niche.
1: You didn't. I said niches. Celebrities fall into certain niches. That's well, the, what you well, said. Pl- okay. Well, yeah.
0: The plural of. N- That's niche. not how you pronounce it. So, what's the plural of niche or niche? By the way, we do this all the time.
1: You said niches. It is not niches. I don't know what it is, but it's not niches. Niches? Probably. It's niche.
0: People pronounce niche or niche. It goes either. Sorry. Go so ahead. We do this all the time, guys. I apologize. It's it's annoying to everybody but us, I think. It's annoying to me, too. <laughs> it is? Yes. Stop starting very the shit. Very annoying. Stop starting shit. Okay, then. never mind. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I'll look that up. I think... Because of cancel culture, celebrities, artists, content creators have learned how to fall into different group categories, categories, um, where they become sort of bulletproof. And I think Dave Chappelle is a perfect example of that. Um, Dave is now in a space where he's realized he could pretty much say anything and be as offensive as he wants to be, because there's a big enough pool... Where he'll get all the money he wants to get, whether it's Netflix money or tours or whatever else, and he will be defended by this core group, to where it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says. Um, he it does. There's no. There's no. There's no downside for him at this point. Like so Donald
1: it, Trump, he can't get canceled either. Uh, He's been an absolute monster for two years. What?
0: Three years. We have,
1: We have. We're completely powerless to cancel him.
0: Oh, well, that goes into the whole impeachment thing, which I'm like, whatever about.
1: I'm not even talking about that. Yeah,
0: I know. I know. It's um, not a thing. It's not happening. Right. <laughs> but you're right. It, it, he has a constituency that is so right or die that it doesn't matter what anybody else says or does.
1: And it's so intense that I am now not even. Like, mm-hmm. whatever he says and does, I'm just like, oh. Before it was like, mobilize, right. this is our chance, everyone. Right. Now it's really coming together. Do no, re- it's not. I, mean, I
0: remember... We're not supposed
1: to say it, but I'm not even... Like, 2020 is just...
0: Anybody but Trump.
1: And it's gonna... You think so? I do. I um,
0: won't say um, it, but I'm ready. I'm hoping for the best and expecting the worst. Correct. Um, but yeah, I remember to that end, I remember when he first won the election... And there was all this outrage because he was just tweeting wild shit, and now it's like, oh, it's three a.m. He must be doing his shit again. It, the leader, it means of the nothing. Free leader of the free world. Leader of the free world. But yeah, this—he is. You're right. He's bulletproof because his constituency. Um, well, a helps that his white folks. It helps that his white males. It helps that the 53 percent of white women who voted for him. He, you know because black folks are clustered the way we are it always feels like there's more of us than there actually are it's not. there isn't there isn't there isn't um
1: that's why i think and i think you said this before like cancel culture is one, even pretending folkots and this idea of cancel culture comes from wanting power mm-hmm. and wanting to be heard and mm-hmm. wanting to be able to affect change in that way and it's easy cancel culture exists because you can do it from your phone right no one's going out into the streets to cancel people. No one is boycotting Chrisette Michelle in D.C. Right. while she's at the inauguration. Mm-hmm. No, we're just doing it from home, right. from our computers, from our phones. It's very easy to say hashtag #cancel. And
0: and you know I follow probably 1,100 people on Twitter, and I think I agree with 98 percent of them. Mm-hmm. So it feels like we're all this big s- swarm, and this big thing is happening, but. You know, it's an echo same shit, different day. Yeah. Um, to that end, and kind of going back to the—did you say
1: you follow eleven hundred people on Twitter? Yes. Is that normal?
0: Depends. I I see people who follow three people and have like ten thousand followers. It's all about what you're. I using follow four
1: hundred and twenty-six people.
0: That's okay. If those are the four hundred and twenty-six people that you're interested in,
1: I would say half of them are people I follow so that they would follow me back, so I could DM them and have them be a source in a story I was working on pretty much the only reason why I follow anybody.
0: You probably shouldn't have said that out loud, but <laughs> Well, no, I say it.
1: Hey, can right. you follow me so sure. I can DM you? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that's kind of how I managed to get to know the people or be connected to people I I knew cuz I was just online stuff like um and for those of you who don't know me, I at one point worked for This Week in Blackness, which at the time was one of the largest Independently owned, independently black owned. Um, I won't say media outlets, but podcast networks in the country. Um, we were on the ground at Ferguson. We were following pretty much everything that was going on in the country. We did nerd shit and sports shit. It was a uh, at its peak. It was really, really, really awesome. Um, and in the course of that, it was sort of my job to follow what was going on in 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 the Twitter sphere and in current events, as well as make connections to either get folks onto different shows or whatever it is. So that's kind of same thing on my end, where it's like I'm just connecting to make the connections and we see what happens from there. And I've been fortunate that those connections have carried on and I've gotten to know some of the people who I made those connections with. I lost everything that I was gonna say just now.
1: We were talking about why you follow 1,100 people.
0: Oh no, you, you brought and then that up actually. You said,
1: no, 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 because I was asking you why you did. And oh, then right, right. you said that um, the reason why is because you just got used to knowing mm. what was going on. Right. And it's a, a big old echo chamber.
0: Right. That's what it was. I was saying, going back to the your Morehouse story, one of the big things now is I feel like every content contributor, everybody who does content, whether well, it's a podcast, whether it's music, whether it's written word, they are their own individual brand. And they have, whether you're comfortable with it or not, they have their small group of fans or following or however you want to phrase it. As especially folks with smaller platforms compared to some of the other people that we know, how do you balance the feeling that you owe your followers or what piece of them you piece of yourself you give them in return for their interest in you and your work? Because I think that's becoming more and more of a thing as well, and I think that's even where a lot of public figures are getting into trouble because they're over extending themselves for their fan base to prove something.
1: I've never felt like I had to prove anything. Most of my fan base comes from a, a blog that I had. About ten, twelve years ago, King dot com, and I overshared there a lot. I talked about just about everything there is. I had a really small child at the time. I was trying to finish my first book, so my publisher Simon Schuster was concerned about me having a platform in order to market my book. So, so, they,
0: so to be clear, they were concerned about your need for a platform. Correct.
1: Okay. Um, and they were like, "You need to do something." So I scrambled and got on all the Instagrams and well, not Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And then I bought LESK.com and I started just, you know, I had no direction. I didn't know anything about what to do. I just wrote every day. And people started to show up. And it was a really vibrant community of people. Um, I wish I knew the stats, like unique likes or views or visits. I really don't know. You mean for um, the old blog? For the, mm. yeah, for the blog. So when I moved on from there to writing more on other places, I've never felt like I owed my... An audience anything but then again I've always been pretty transparent I think the only thing I haven't discussed in detail um, was my marriage while I was married and after I was not married that was pretty every once in a while I might talk about it but it wasn't something that I talked about very much
0: it's funny cause um, my ex-wife I was pretty free with uh, posting pictures of our son and talking about what's going on with him and X, Y, and Z And she actually asked me to fall back on that. And at the time, I didn't understand. But in hindsight, I'm really glad that she pushed me in that direction. Um, Just because a little bit of smoke I've caught at different points. And especially when it was dealing with stuff like Ferguson and writing on different things. um, To have, like, the experience you had with, you know, we found your daughter. Mm -hmm. Or they presumed that you (laughs) are right. You know, that that's scary and that's and doxing is such a huge thing and swatting and all stuff and it's so easy to do very especially now um and it wasn't as much then but you know that that trail it's it's permanent
1: of course i um i don't i think i've posted a picture like a visible picture of my daughter maybe two or three times a year um for the whole time she's been alive just because I want her to be able to get on social media and have her own um, identity. And I don't post her photo very often, but I do talk about her a lot. I write about her a lot because I'm a mom.
0: By name or?
1: Not by name. She's been the blank year old since she was mm-hmm. two. So my first posts about her were the two-year-old, the three-year-old, the four-year-old. She's Now the 12-year-old. Um, I've never referred to her by name. Um And I've even asked people who do know her. Sometimes they'll get in the comments and refer to her by name and I delete those. Um, But lately, that's become a problem because she is now a person of note by proxy. And that's not really fair to her. But like recently, we went to the supermarket and this woman yelled out from the parking lot. And she was like, excuse me. And we both turned around. She said, oh, you don't know me. My name is so-and-so. I follow you on Instagram. And I was like, all right, cool. It's nice to meet you. And she was like, this is a 12-year-old. You are hilarious. And my daughter was not on Instagram yet. So now not to, she's- And that's to interrupt,
0: your daughter is absolutely hilarious. She is. She but, is hilarious. But, but, but she does not
1: want the old white woman right. outside of all these to tell her that. Mm-hmm. And she was completely freaked out um, that this woman was saying she was hilarious. And um, we talked about it afterward. And I explained to her you know, why that had happened. And it's happened since then.
0: Um, How does she feel about that?
1: Now that she's on Instagram herself, she sees these posts that I write in real time. Mm-hmm. So she's, and she'll comment on them and all that nonsense. She's a little bit better about them then, but I try not to do it too often because she has to, I have to allow her, you know, she has the fortunate or unfortunateness of having the same issue on her father's side who also works in media. People know who he is. He talks about her, not much, but sometimes sometimes. So I just don't think it's fair. I don't think that just because you have a parent with a person of note that you need to be as well. I don't think that's fair.
0: I think the, and I understand what you're saying completely, but I think the only thing that's changing is to some degree, we're all becoming people of note. We're all brands and we're all things like, what was the name, Barbecue Becky. Mm-hmm. She discovered very quickly that she had a brand, and that she she had a 7%. not one she's going to embrace. Well, not, no, not well, not the barbecue part, but just whatever her name is or whoever she is, that was her brand. Yeah, and she destroyed her brand in one foul soup and became barbecue Becky. Um, not for
1: long. Just needs a better haircut, lose or gain ten nice, pounds, sunglasses, and a tan. Yeah, she'll be fine.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think we still using that as an example. I think we are discovering that we all are individual brands and we're all able to be touched in certain ways, whether we want to or not. So your daughter, my son, were going to be brands and regardless how big or small that was, depending on what they decided to do. Um, but there was always a potential for them to have somebody be like, Oh, you did that thing or you wrote that thing or mm-hmm. you said some wild shit that we're gonna run you all up and down these Twitter streets. right? Um, So just in that alone.
1: We are creating brands. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I got my daughter's first middle and last name as a .com. Mm -hmm. Her Facebook page, her Twitter page. She literally has the ID for things that don't exist anymore. I Mm -hmm. just got them all and I update them. Gmail, which is unfortunate because she doesn't go by that name anymore that I got all these things for, but that's another story. Um, so yeah I knew early that she would be a brand
0: right and yeah same we have my son's URL we have the emails we have all the things and as he gets older hopefully he still goes by those things we can hand that over to him but if he doesn't it's fine as well but it's just a different mindset so and again going back to the idea of um, the presumption whether you think you owe your audience something or whether Mm -hmm. they think they do um, talk a little bit about Fro Girl for us and, and, and just in line with the idea of your audience thinking that they, that you owe them something.
1: Worse yet, my audience thinking that they own something. It's right. worse than just me own. I'd rather just owe you something than think, than you think you own it. Um, so I've always had natural hair pretty much my whole life. Um, definitely since 1994, I stopped perming my hair and I've done everything, braids, weaves, blowouts, everything. And then around like 2014, I guess, 15, 16, um, my hair started to just grow. And it just grew and it grew and it grew and it just became like this huge thing. And every time I would take pictures, one time I took pictures and posted them on Facebook and someone wrote, oh my God, I love Girl." And that became her name. People would say, oh, what's up with Girl?" And if I had on a hat and a picture, they would be like, set Girl free. And I thought it was hilarious. And I thought it was so funny. Um, I got an Instagram for Girl. She immediately had amassed way more followers. She amassed more followers in two months than I have right now. After eight years of being on Instagram, I think I have 2,000 followers. And she had like five. I was getting endorsement requests and hair care products and all of it. She just became her own thing. And when she didn't appear in a post, you could tell. You could literally see less engagement. If I posted a picture of myself and my hair was braided or I just didn't pick my hair out whatever, it would just be like, oh, hi, hey, hey. But if I posted a photo with Fro Girl out, it was just a whole different thing. So it started to make me feel a little uncomfortable. Um, I went to Victoria's Secret one day shopping. In Times Square. And when I walked in, there was a young man standing at the front of the store giving out like perfume samples, I think. And as soon as he saw me, um, I, ha- I think I had my hair pulled back. And he said, oh, my God, this is so unfair. And I was like, what's unfair? And he was like, I finally get to meet Elias S. King, but I don't get to meet pro Girl. This is just not, I was invested. I just knew one day I was going to meet you. So I'm freaking out that this young kid at Times Square Victoria's Secret thinks I'm a thing enough to be like, oh my God, I get to meet Elias a- king. Like, that's freaking me out. But then it just sort of unfreaked me out because he was really disappointed that Girl was not with me. And I just, I was like, this is not good. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good at all. Um, so then from there, it went to like seeing people on the street and them being visibly uncomfortable if Girl was not out and about. Then it became people actually touching my hair like, I've always wondered black if Frogirl, black people, black people, it'd be your own people, saying to me, I always wanted to touch Frogirl. Some people would ask, like, can I touch Frogirl? I love her so much. And I would be like, you can't. And sometimes people wouldn't ask. They'd be like, I've always wanted to touch Frogirl.
0: And so, so to be clear, you're Ali as King and Frogirl's on top of your head. Correct. Is that like you're playing the role of Frogirl? No. There's two fro people girl there at the same time. Frogirl is my
1: hair. Girl is my actual hair on top of my head. I'm not like a superhero with a big right. F on my chest. No, people are talking to my hair. So I m- made this bed for myself because sometimes I would write these posts and Fogirl and I would be talking back and forth to each other. So it'd be like, you know, Girl would be like, why did you do this to me? And I would say, I didn't know this product was going to do this to you. And she'd say, well, it's horrible and I hate it. And now it's all oily and greasy. And we go back and forth for like 5,000 words because that's just who I am. Um, And then I would, you know, I have this picture I'm going to post for uh, Throwback Thursday tomorrow. I know, you know, you can't see it, but you should take a look at it anyway. This is me and Seven, who's one of my faves. I love Seven. And Seven came to the office of Ebony, where I worked at the time, so that I could interview her. And, you know, she's a big old, you know, she's a singer. And she walks into the office, and I'm gathering all my stuff, and she's, like, pouting. And I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, hi. And she was like... Oh, I thought Frogirl was gonna interview me. And I was like, <laughs> You know is? She was like, Of course I know
0: who girl is. Oh my gosh, are you not, kidding? Not the journalist who's been in every magazine on under the sun for the last fifteen minutes. She years. didn't even know my name. The author who... She was
1: like, It's Aaliyah, Alicia. It's Aaliyah. It's Aaliyah Esking. Yeah. So
0: Frogirl was gonna like grow mouth and teeth and do conduct. She the just energy. was excited to right.
1: Be like, look at me, I'm with Fro Girl. Right, and she was like, yeah, my followers talk about you, and sometimes I see them retweet da 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 da, and said whatever. But she, but I had my hair in braids, mm-hmm. so she was disappointed.
0: Um, do so, you do you regret Fro Girl? Of course not. No, it was my hair. What the hell? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> do the, I regret my boobs? No, they're my boobs. Well, there's never something regretting your actual hair and regretting the character. Oh, the oh, hair oh so
1: I regret the character. Not, not not your
0: hairstyle. Do you regret your Afro? Oh, no. okay. But, and do I that,
1: regret that I created this character? And, and
0: that's how this podcast only gets mm-hmm. one episode. I say, do you regret your natural hair? Right. Right.
1: Um, no, I don't regret it. It was fun. It just mm-hmm. got out of hand. And, um, you know, there won't be a perm girl because that's just not going right. to be a thing.
0: Although um, even then, you had the initial picture revealing the perm. Mm-hmm. and There were folks... Who go, not even go back to Fro Girl but just still like what are you doing what have, what have you done right
1: um, which is interesting because I definitely have affected my brand by straightening my hair that's a fact there are certain people that I have not seen on my page mm-hmm. who would engage in everything I do mm-hmm. I've not seen since I straightened my hair I'm in a different place now like right. I'm not one of them
0: but the other question becomes: so I've been
1: mini cancelled
0: but the other question becomes were they ever your fans to begin with if For the sure. hair was the thing absolutely
1: Absolutely, they were. Absolutely. We pick our friends based on things we like and like. You know, that's just how it works. So if someone, if I'm a person of note mm-hmm. and not just your girl in your building, right, then I expect you to do these person of note things. Mm-hmm. So I noticed some people didn't know how to handle it when I made my announcement that I was not married anymore. And I didn't even talk. No one there, 99% of my people on social media couldn't tell you his name. And we were married for over a decade. Mm-hmm. They knew I was married. Couldn't tell you anything. Didn't say anything for three years. Until I finally started to make hints, like, actually, y'all, this is what's going on. Some people didn't know how to handle that. And I know that. And I can tell. And that's okay. It's all right if my brand to you was marriage, two kids, dog, house. And that now my brand is me and my that I think... It-
0: and I generally don't, well, no, that's a lie. I do pay attention to who follows and unfollows me and all the things that have the apps and they're like. And I, I could never. And there's a part of me that wishes that I could handle applications saying, you know, why did you unfollow me? Like, what was it that I, I did? I used to do that. You did?
1: Yes. What was I spo- would ask people. What were their responses Like, I like? had the, the, for the few dark times yeah, yeah. that I had the uh, who unfollowed me, uh-huh. I would see it and I would tweet at them. Right. Hey, what you unfollow me? What happened? I wouldn't even DM them. Right. At them. <laughs> so one of them is Mike Schreiber who I love he is a photographer and he used to shoot at the stores we were both young and gritty and trying to make it and um, Mike followed me on Twitter and I saw his name on the unfollow I only did it if I knew you I didn't do it to names that weren't familiar to right.
0: me so I was like oh gosh 212 what happened no
1: um, Mike unfollowed me so I tweeted I was like hey at Mike Schreiber why did you unfollow me I'm so sad and he tweeted me back like because you're annoying and you tweet too much and you don't have anything interesting to say. So... Ow. And I was like, oh, he retweeted my statement with right. that just to make it clear. Wow. Um, So, yeah, I did that. I think, I don't think many people responded to that but I, it was a dark time. Mm-hmm. That twin follow, I think one was called. It was dark times, man. I don't play that. But yeah, I know like certain... I don't look to see, but I can just think to myself, like, right now, I know, like, whole swaths of people that I haven't heard from in a while. Mm. And I think that, you know, part of that is this. The interesting thing is I've been canceled out of, I don't think I've been canceled, but I'm no longer a part of the naturalista um, hemisphere, which I don't mind at all because it was very, it was a lot of pressure. Um, but had I said I got a blowout, mm-hmm. no one would have batted an eye. Right. They would just say, oh, she's just shitting it. Fuck girl, will be back right but i wasn't doing that i wanted to say she's dead she's gone forever
0: so was there liberation in that in doing that in in shedding that and not having the pressure of this physical aesthetic being a thing that folks were because again this you you're not an ig model you know that you produce tomes of work you articles books the yeah lives, but the, the majority podcasts.
1: of the people that follow you on social media my tomes are—I'm six years behind on the tome. Right. Um, content, sure, but the people who follow my content are not necessarily people who follow me on social media. Mm-hmm. So my social media folks—they follow me as a public figure. They mm-hmm. follow me. Uh, they like to follow stories, and they like for them to be real. So before it was Fro Girl, it was you know my child who was a brat. And I would just post all the time, like, help me, this girl, and these back and forth conversations. I don't know where it came from, but early on in my social media life, I would have these back and forth conversations, sometimes imaginary, sometimes with real people. And there's certain parts of my life. You know what? I want to go back to what you said, because I think I do feel like I owe my audience parts of me. I think I do a decent job with keeping as much of myself to myself as I can. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But... I don't think I could have a brand where I just talked about what I'm selling or even just when I'm writing. Nobody wants, nobody right, ever nobody wants. Yeah. At BT, oh, can I say this? At BT, you were required, not required, but strongly recommended to post a link to whatever you wrote mm-hmm. onto your social media page, obviously. Sure. And mm-hmm. I always told them I can't. Just trust me, I can't do it. Because? Because my audience doesn't care about when I uh, write for BT. Mm-hmm. They don't care when I write for anything, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But they particularly just did not engage with BT, So it looks makes me look bad when I have no comments and no likes. And makes them look bad. So I would always be like, I can't, y'all. I can't. I'll do it anywhere you want. I'll do an interview. I'll do Twitter. I cannot post this on my Facebook page. You just don't understand my audience. They're not here for that. Right. They're not here to be promoted to. So one day I wrote this piece and my editor was like, you gotta. Come on. And I said, I'm going to do it. I want you to pay close attention and see what happens. I posted it on there. I can show it to you right now. Zero likes, zero comments. That's the only time it's ever done that for me on Facebook in 10 years, ever. It's just certain things my audience is not connecting with. And I do now have this intrinsic ability to know what they're gonna engage in. And mm-hmm. in the rhythm. Like I can't post five times a day. Right. Some folks can, I can't.
0: Well, you're one of the few people I know that essentially posts long form Content on Facebook. I do. You'll put up a thousand words on Facebook. I'll put
1: up five thousand words on Facebook. I've done it. And and gotten whole ass conversations and comments. Right.
0: And, and and my nerdy social media side is like, that's not how that's supposed to work. Right. You're supposed to have, you're supposed to have the soundbite. bite yep. And the link to the blog or so whatever else.
1: They don't want that. My audience does not want that. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if this. And
0: is part the- of my job is looking at these engagement numbers, and it's like, well, shit. Okay. Are we still on topic? Yeah.
1: So I there is there are people who tell me that if they see the word more on a post that I write, sometimes they'll pull over. Mm. Pull over. They're driving home from work and they look at Facebook and Elias posted something and it doesn't just stop. It says more. Pull over. So they could just sit and chill and read whatever I'm talking about because they know it's gonna be long. Or make a note to themselves. This is for after dinner. Like, right. I don't know how that's happened, but people will absolutely sit down and relax and read a 3,000-word story about whatever.
0: Right. And and the reason I think that this is, to answer your question, is still on topic is because it goes to those 3,000 words that you give up a piece of yourself to the audience Correct. and their expectations of what they expect to see. They Like, they don't want the BET. They want... The Aaliyah.
1: Right. And if I were to take those same three thousand words and write this personal essay for BT and actually get paid for it.
0: Right. They don't want to read it. So
1: which it, I did that once, just as an experiment.
0: Right. And it didn't.
1: I wrote a story about getting my hair braided mm-hmm. before a trip to Italy. Wrote it on Facebook, ten thousand words, probably like a hundred comments. Wrote it for BT, got paid for it, put the link onto my page,
0: Why? So then the question becomes Are they consuming your work or are they consuming you?
1: They're consuming me. They're consuming me. And I am both scared by that sometimes and lately emboldened. Is emboldened a word? Yes. Emboldened by it.
0: Again, we do this all the time.
1: (laughs) Um, Because I feel safe there. Mm -hmm. Like One of the things that I forgot to mention to Damon when he was here was that Very Smart Brothers has always been the safest place for me Mm -hmm. to write. The community is hardcore and they'll drag you and cancel you, all those things. But it's such a safe space. There's nothing I wouldn't write about in that space. That's the only place I've talked about my divorce. It's the only place I've talked about bipolar 2. It's the only place I've talked about sobriety. There are like, those are like the three big things that I write about. And they've only been written about primarily there and on Facebook. Um, and I've been actually giving up more of the goods lately, um, which we'll have to wait and see how that turns out.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we can't go too deep into it. But one of the projects we're working on is deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which
1: for now, I want to pretend is not going to ever
0: see the light of day, day right. even
1: though I know it is. But I think it's why I've been putting a toe into um, talking a little bit. I can't go from I was married for over a million years and y'all ain't no shit to the project that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. There's no way. I have to stick a toe in some kind of way and prepare for letting people into that part of my life.
0: One of the things I've noticed is, um, and again, I have... Tens and tens of people who really like whatever it is I'm doing at whatever given point, and I kind of I'm scatterbrained. Whether it's the storytelling podcast, or I wrote something for somebody, or random blog post or tweet or whatever it is, um, my most personal pieces of myself that I want to give and I want to write about, if I don't want the people closest to me to find out about it, I put it on the biggest platform possible. So I have. My storytelling podcast, SPN Rights, which is on spnrights.com. It was a five-episode run of me telling personal stories. And one of them involves um, my mother's domestic abuse and then the abuse I received as a result of that from her. She has no idea this thing exists. Till now. She, I know. Thankfully, my mother doesn't know how to use the internet, so I'm, I'm relatively safe. But even to that extent, there hasn't even been anything that circled back to her. And it's on my Facebook and all these different things, but that's just I,
1: the, that's just time. That's just a matter of time. You think so? For sure, absolutely.
0: Because it's,
1: it's just the right person seeing it, and mm. it gets there.
0: Because I've I've had blog posts about my being homeless and everything, and it has not gotten back to the people I didn't want to get back to because I put it in these public spaces. If I had said "boo" on a general, regular old Facebook post. And it probably would have rained down or anything else. I put on my business page nothing. So I think in being a a more forward facing public figure, I've been able to hide in public. Um And I don't know if that's an unusual thing or if that's
1: I think we all do.
0: Is that why we do it? Or is that why we, we we're we are so public so we can hide this stuff or or maybe I should make that a more personal statement because there's no you can't I can't make that a general statement. Is no, that why I just
1: you- I think that I mean if you're if you're this Oprah hide in public, of course we put armor on. We walk out the door, mm-hmm. all of us, mm-hmm. every day. No matter how visible we are, no matter how not visible we are, we put on our armor, physical or otherwise, and we hide as best that we can. None of us wants to walk around in public just completely inside out and vulnerable.
0: I don't know.
1: hide in public. I do. Uh,
0: Tell folks where they can find you online.
1: You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Actually, you can't. I'm there, but you won't see me saying much of anything. I want all the things, and my handle is the same for everything. Aaliyah S. King. A-L-I-Y-A.
0: Thank you very much, Aaliyah.
1: You're welcome. Thank Uh, you for having me. Such a pleasure.
0: (laughs) Um, I suspect that Aaliyah will be one of the regulars. Uh, Don't get too excited. I suspect you're not locked in yet. Okay. Um, (laughs) um, Questions, comments, uh, please email me at shane at com, And we will talk to you again soon. Bye.